So we're on the year of reformation, right? This is week 35 of 52. We got 17 weeks left for reformation. Whew. Yay! It's it's happening. People looking back like, talk on it. Uh-oh. Look, it ain't it ain't two weeks left. Ain't nothing worse than getting December and still dealing with the same stuff you were dealing with in January. Now you got to be superstitious, hoping that the new year superstitiously will grant you some type of change. They'd be like, oh, yes, the new year. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to start starting today. What? Starting? You think because the day on this calendar changed that that means it's going to be something brand new for you? The Lord is not mocked. Whatever you sow that you shall reap hello somebody in due season if you faint not uh it ain't gonna be a new day unless you sold something before today as, as farmers say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago amen y'all don't somebody was like what it takes about 20 years for the tree to fully grow and have fruit on it the best time to plant a tree now that you realize, ooh, I need fruit, was 20 years ago. Think about that. Just let that marinate for a minute. Because y'all be expecting something miracle. Hello? <laughs> but you ain't do the sowing. You ain't do the plowing. You stop watering because you got discouraged. I'm like, when you going to learn? I found out that when I get discouraged, I start wanting to not tend to stuff that I had going on. Anybody else like that? Yeah. I get discouraged. I'm like, you know what? Bump this. I ain't going to do that no more. And then I'll be like, you so stupid. Because even though this ain't working, this might be ready by the time you get over this not working. And I was like, from now on, I ain't ever doing that no more. Whatever I can do, I'm going to keep doing that. Because I ain't going to lose multiple times. It's obvious I lost the apple tree. <laughs> We ain't going to have fruit this year. But I did be working on some oranges. I did be working on some pears, a little, little grapevine. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to keep tending to them because that might be harvest in just a little bit. One of them going to hit. And I'm going to eat. Hello, somebody. Y'all crazy. Y'all play. my life is terrible. Forget everything. Nevertheless, forget it. I'm not doing nothing no more. And then you realize that was dumb. Because now you have to start over. When you could have just picked up where you left off. Amen. Amen. Last week we looked at uh, being reformed through being reformed through the Holy Spirit. The idea of faith, the word of God in Christianity is that you actually have to live it. It's not effective if you just preach it without living it. Do you understand? And so when you put yourself on the chopping block, it is so effective in the kingdom. When people see the love of God in suffering and hard times, it is so powerful to showing the word of God to be true. But this also means that somebody has to suffer. Be embarrassed. Be vulnerable. Be transparent. Be honest. Hello, somebody. Somebody has to do that. You understand. 
Because when you try to cover it up like it ain't what it is, then you ruin the effectiveness of the word of God being preached. One of the things we strive for here is transparency and sincerity. Amen? Amen. Amen. I guess today we're celebrating the 18th year of my ordination. Way to bring it in. I ain't going to forget this year. Reformation uh, 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 through the Holy Spirit was last week. Okay. The Reformation through the Holy Spirit was last week. Powerful. We looked at how the Holy Spirit uh, changes us um, and our nature to stop sinning. Something that many Christians don't want to believe is possible because there are very few of us that actually carry it out in leadership, at least displayed. And so the assumption is that everybody is sinning and nobody's capable. Now, I'm not saying that you won't have sins that you did not plan, all right, or sins of omission. But we're talking about those types of sins that were avoidable, that you planned for, that you set it up for. Do you understand? And too many Christians are living with those. As a matter of fact, in the reading for the MIT, the ministers in training class, you guys are looking at the percentages. Over 90% of Christians know the gospel call themselves believers, but admit to not living a lifestyle of a Christian. 90%. This is is problematic. This means that the gospel, as powerful as it is, when it comes out of our mouths, is only 10% of its strength. Like, that's that's horrible. Like, out of the 100% of Christians that are spreading the gospel, only 10% of them actually have any effectiveness when they say it, just the words themselves. And that's what we're going to look at. That's what we're going to look at today. So let's look at the Reformation through truth. Reformation through truth. John 8, 31 and 32 would be our, our uh, key scripture today. We're going to look at several chapters in John, St. John. But our key scripture is John 8, 31 and 32. We're going to look at several chapters possibly from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 8. But let's start with our key scripture just so we can kind of wrap our mind around this. John 8, 31 through 32, when you're there, say amen. Amen. The truth will set you free. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In our day, truth is hard to find. People that have once been believers are leaving Christianity and have left Christianity because they have a hard time finding the truth. I was sitting with a couple of friends the other day and, you know, just having dessert. Uh, Jim and Diane, you guys know them. And Jim's uh, sister asked me, she said, Pastor, what do you think is the reason why so many young people aren't going to church? I said, well, they're going to my church. I said, no. I said, but what I think the problem is, is that this current generation was raised by a generation that had so many questions and no one could give them the answers. Like the generation before them, your parents. And your parents' parents, at the very cusp of that, had so many questions, um, but no one gave answers, nor did they give room for questions. They just said, you believe, because I said so. 
You believe because that's what we always do. You believe because that's what we're raised in. But it did not stop your parents from having questions. So now that your parents have questions, they tend to be more liberal in raising you. I'm not going to force my child to go to church. I'm not going to, they can decide they're on their own because they know intuitively in themselves they have questions. Do you understand? And so even though they take you to church every day, they never actually sit down and talk to you about Jesus. And the tragedy is that that happens even here. Well, we can ask the child, what do you know about baptism? And if we didn't cover it in children's school, you never talk to him at home. And that's very, that's, that's, that's troubling because this seems to see that it's only our responsibility to teach these kids about Jesus, but you are saved. It is also your responsibility. Make sense? Not just the children's church, teachers, all y'all, all y'all. You'd be surprised. Ask some of these kids some questions about Jesus. You'd be like, hmm, hmm. Like, who's Father Abraham, huh? It takes time for a whole children's department to give them the entire Bible. So we all had to pitch in. Yes. Nevertheless, I wasn't going there. I was talking about your generation. So your parents are more liberal. And then with the introduction and the, the prevalence of internet and information, this generation gets to see all of the negative about leaders. The police that don't do right, the judges that, do, that don't do right, the teachers that don't do right. So now, it used to be that when old people, adults, and people in authority did dirt, it wasn't widely spread and easily known unless you were in that group. Do you understand? Now you can research and find out everybody's history and whatever they did wrong on a consistent basis. So now you got a whole generation raised by people that had questions with no answers, told them, don't worry about it, try to figure it out, and then they see that the people that they should listen to are all failures in living what they say. And so thus, what the church has only done to try to get new people is change the format. Let's add some smoke. Let's make it a concert. Let's, let's put lights and cameras and screens and let's just have a ton of music and let's just make it fun and put the, the pastor in, 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 in jeans and put him on a rock star t-shirt, give him some skinny jeans and just get rid of the pulpit and he'll look like, you know, he'll look real hip. And so the only thing that we've changed is the format. But there aren't enough people actually studying to answer the questions because if you could answer their questions coupled with actually living what you preach, then they will come back to God in the droves. But it takes both. Do you understand? It takes both. So if you say, why your church going? I said, because I strive to do both. Answer questions and live what I preach. I try to do both. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so far, the, God, the Lord is keeping us. Now, the idea here is when it comes to truth, we got to look at lies. Let's look at what lying does to your brain. Lying messes up your brain, just so you know. A team of researchers at Duke University and College of London set out to determine what exactly, has, what exactly goes on in the brain when you lie. What kind of detriment does it have? So they, they created an experiment where they showed some people pictures of a jar full of pennies, mini jars for the pennies, pennies. And this, this person was supposed to email their friend an estimate of how many pennies were in the jar, right? And so they did that for a couple times. And then the task was, well, now, when you email your friend the estimate, how close you are to the number is how much we'll pay you. But how far off your friend is, no, how far off your friend is is how much we'll pay you. And how close you are is how much we'll pay them. 
So this means that if they exaggerated what they thought was an estimate of the pennies, then they would get more money because their friend would give a higher estimate. Do you understand? But they couldn't really tell them the number. They had to give them clues. Like, it's kind of like if you had a handful of, you just had to give them tips to help them estimate it. And so they noticed that in the beginning, the people that would have to judge the pennies and then give the clues to the other person via email, that they only started to exaggerate a little bit. But as the experiment continued, then by the end of the experiment, they exaggerated almost double the estimate. And scientists were like, so when you lie, you just keep on lying. Hello? That sound about right, because Luke tells us that, you understand? Luke makes it very plain. You, keep, you start lying, you unjust, you keep you unjust in one thing, you'll be unjust in many things. Um, and so the scientists said, this is, this, is, this is problematic, okay? Because now we recognize that the more they lie, the more they lie. And so then they hooked the brain up to one of them you know, scans to see in the process, what are you doing in this, right? And they reveal a couple of things. Um, at first, participants lied only a little. They inflated their estimates only a few hundred pennies more than what they believed was actually in the jar. But over the course of the study, their estimates became higher and higher, right? Early on, they saw a great deal of activity in the regions of the brain associated with emotions, the amygdala in particular. The observation suggests that the participants initially felt very bad about the lies they told. But over time, as participants lied again and again, those areas of the brain showed less and less activity. Just like when we encounter an unpleasant stimuli, like loud noises or frightening images, for example, the brain has the ability to adapt and make the stimuli less intense. Unfortunately, in this case, adaptation makes it easier to do a bad thing. When lying no longer stirs up negative feelings, we are able to increase the magnitude of our lies. Then the additional, larger, further deadened our sensitivity to the act of lying, and then the slippery slope continues. So it's not the idea that you told a lie. The problem is that you have now started the beginning of making yourself desensitized with the idea of the effects of a lie. Like you used to struggle with it, you used to feel so bad as soon as you like, oh. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I lied, oh I feel so bad, oh. You feel that, you feel that tragedy? Same happens with all kinds of sin. Because it's an emotion in the amygdala. The amygdala part of the brain is that center part, that, and it is the part of the brain that is so closely related to a serpent, to the reptile. I mean, they're like almost identical. It is the part in the base of our emotions and instincts is in the amygdala. Fear and intense emotions are regulated in that place, in that interesting. Hold that thought for the retreat because we're going to come back for that. Right. Amen? Okay, so now when you start doing these things, when you do it one time, it's like, oh, you got conflict, right? You get in a situation, you don't know what to do, you try to do it again, you have less conflict internally. And then, again, less conflict internally. Now, as your amount of how bad you feel decreases, how big you lie and how big you sin increases. <laughs> Can you imagine, because I know you guys have never lived like this. Can you imagine the type of character mess a person like that has to have? And I'm sure you've never done this. Where you 
are so oblivious to the hugeness of your sin, the, the foulness of what you've done, yeah. and you are oblivious to its size. I'm sure you never, you've never yeah. done that. Yeah. Where other people are like, oh my God, you were like, calm down, oh my, it's not that big of a deal. And you hear yourself saying, it's not that big of a deal. It's not a lot of that. All I said, all I did, blah, 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 blah. We be looking at you like, I mean, not you, not you, not you, never you, right? No, 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 no. So this means that now once we have the, so ha, the good side of this is that people that feel guilty easily have a tendency to be more morally upstanding. See, you thought you tried to change yourself. I need to stop feeling guilty about everything and be like these other people that are free, not realizing that that particular thing in you was keeping you from going down that slippery slope. And they be trying to tell you, no, be like me. That's all right. You just too tense. You be talking to stuff too serious. It ain't that bad. It ain't all that. You be like, you know what? Maybe I do need to do that. Maybe I do need to do that. And now you're trying to not feel guilty looking at them like, how do they not feel guilty? Then you feel guilty. Now you got to drink, smoke, and everything else and stop feeling guilty. I got to stop feeling guilty. I just got to relax. I got to take a break. It's just too much conflict happening on the inside of me. I feel bad about doing bad, and I'm tired of feeling like that. So now you got to numb the very thing that is supposed to help you stop doing. It was supposed to give you the feeling to say, stop. But you got to get rid of that because, you know, it makes you feel bad. Oh, tragic tragic but isn't that true of us we have such a necessity and a need to always feel good that when it's time to feel bad we don't know what to do with it yeah. babies there is a time to feel bad yeah. there's a time for it do you understand and I start looking at you funny if when I know it's a time to feel bad and you be you don't be feeling bad I'd be like <laughs> and then I look at you funny when I know that how long that time should last and it didn't last that because to me, how bad you feel is equated to how bad the situation was. Come on. You understand? Like, oh, I, I stepped on your foot. That should not, you should not feel guilty about that for, for 20 minutes. Okay, that's, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. When they say, ah, oh, it stings, but, but I'm all right, then, then you're, you're done with that. Yeah. Okay, that, that, that makes sense here. All right, all right. But if I hit you with my car, <laughs> if I hit you with my car, and then I only feel bad for like the first two seconds, like whatever, man, I told him to move out the way. See, now I'm starting to think something is wrong. Cause you should feel, a whole, you know, like instantly you should feel bad. Do you understand? I'm like, you should just feel, you should feel bad. Don't, if you don't know the story, don't worry about it, okay? Just, just know it involves somebody hitting somebody with a car, all right? And now, now you're thinking, what is it, was it car on car? It's called a body. <laughs> but you could be so deadened to, to guilt of hurting other people because all you feel is your pain that you don't feel anybody else's pain. And so your pain is so loud that you cannot instantly resonate with somebody else's pain. And so we're all looking at you like, what's wrong with your amygdala? Your amygdala broke. You need to get that fixed in Jesus' name. How I fix it? I don't know. Just read the Bible. I, read the Bible, pray, go to the altar, and miracles happen. But something wrong with your amygdala. Something, something is definitely wrong with your, with your amygdala. 
And so they progress. Not only that, but another experiment discussed how lying makes you stupid and ineffective. Like this, 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 this is this was the funny part. I'm not going to read the whole experiment. I'm going to tell you in short. Okay. So they measured how much work your brain does to lie. Because when you tell the truth, it just connects one thing to the next thing. It's like, why were you late for class? Well, I was talking to my friend, my apologies teacher. I was talking to my friend, lost track of time. I'm so sorry. Your brain said, question, answer. Okay, now when you got to lie, your brain has to go, why are you late for class? Hmm, what excuse would work? Hmm, I was at the library. Oh, and see now, your brain also has to calculate, when I say I was at the library, if they ask anything else, what am I going to say? So now your brain is working overtime trying to find, what am I gonna say next, what am I gonna say next? Because if you come tell me something that I feel like got a little bit of lie in it, I instantly start asking questions. <laughs> Y'all start testing how fast your brain gonna, gonna calculate. Now, be, now, now, the funny thing is, some of y'all are so good at it that it scares me. That I'll be like, oh my God, you're a psychopath. Your brain is so fast at lying, but so stupid in everything else. You are crazy. I'm like, you, you, you done. You might as well check out. You understand what I'm saying? You have messed up your whole brain wiring. All they know how to do is find lies, but cannot add, cannot read, does not want to have the ability to read a book, just, just find lies, that's all we know how to do. So your brain had to think, which, what am I gonna say? It was at the library. Then you gotta say, now if she asked about the library, what am I gonna say? Well, what did you get from the library? If I say I got the book that she told me to get, she gonna ask me, where's the book did you read? And I'm gonna say no. So I'm gonna say I got the book that she don't know I got. Uh, I got this book, oh, where is it? Now I gotta be ready to know. She said, where is it? Let me see it. I'm like, oh, I dropped it in my locker. Oh, you dropped it in your locker? Okay, cool. See, now your brain has done, even though I don't feel like it, a ton of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've trained it to do a bunch of unnecessary work. So then when it's time for it to do necessary work, it's exhausted. It's tired. It's tired of keeping up with things. It's tired of worrying about things. It's tired of learning to read. It's tired of learning to study. It's tired. And then you got TikTok and now it's real. Oh, oh, it is just fat and lazy. Now that brain said, I am 600 pound life right now, 600 pound life. Because not only are you not using me effectively, you are constantly feeding me things that continue to increase my ineffectivity. In, in yeah. Right? Hello? Your brain on lies. It's like drugs. It's like drugs. And not only when you start a lie, you got to keep it going. And then when you realize you can get away with it, you know, you get at finessing. You get at talking around it. You get at quickly picking that up. And some of y'all being lying together, being like, yeah, then I said this. Ooh, that was good. Ooh, that was good. Yeah. This amygdala broke. It's way broke. Now you can't understand why it's hard for you to hold certain concepts. Be effective. Remember things. Add things. Cognitive thought solve problems because by the time you get done trying to cover up mistakes you're exhausted you're exhausted and then you think it's life that is exhausting you no it's how you are doing life that is exhausting you do life bad 
you do it so bad. And I love hearing Joe say, oh, God, because she is one that I think, on a surface level, I'd be like, oh, she do life bad. At a surface level. Because you know me and anybody like me, we are very efficient people. Do you understand? If I'm going to go upstairs, I'm going to know three things before my memory went bad that I'm going to do when I get upstairs. One, I'm going to put the clothes in the, from the washer to the dryer. Number two, I'm going to bring down that rug that was already dry that I need to have downstairs or ready to go. Number four, I need to check to make sure the water is off in the other bathroom because sometimes they be leaving it dripping and running. So that's what I'm going to do. And so I make the plan to cover several things when I go upstairs before I go upstairs. Right? Before I go upstairs. Right? Right? Now, Jewel, she don't do that. She say, I need to check the water. Check the water. Okay. Oh, I need to turn the dryer on. <laughs> and I be watching her do stuff in life. I be like, you didn't think to condense these things? I be like, oh my God, you do life bad. Oh. God, I would, that would suck for me. And I be trying to help her, like, just, just do this. Just do this. She'd be like, okay. I'm like, oh, just do it however you want to do it. Making you sad is not going to be effective either. So <laughs> just do it however you want to do it. But you can be so used to overworking your brain and things that don't matter that you have no energy for the things that do matter. And that's a wonderful place to keep you spiraling downward. Wonderful place. When I first started pastoring, I had that problem. I would overly concern myself with things that did not matter. Now you matter. Right? But I will overconcern myself with things that I shouldn't concern myself with. Like after we talk, I'd be like, then, then this, then what about this, then what about that? And I know they didn't. And now, in the game a little longer, I realize when I get on talking to you, I'm done with that conversation. I have moved on to something else. And I, I sustain myself a whole lot better that way. I'd be like, I don't think you should do that. I think that that is wrong. And now I'm finished with that. And I go laugh and play with everybody else because I am now done with that conversation and decided to leave it right there. I love this new brain. I love it. I love it. It gets to specialize in the things that it does well rather than overworking itself in the things that will have no fruit. I can't run your life for you. That's your life. When I get done helping you, I'm out. <laughs> I got to run my life. What well, little of it I might have. Now let's move on. A couple of scriptures you want to keep in mind about lying. As we can see that your brain on lies is bad. All right. Proverbs 6, 6 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, the first six, three of them are some form of deception. Proverbs 21 and 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. First John 2, verses 4 through 6, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, <laughs> but whoever keeps his word, in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. 
By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way as which he walked. Make sense? I know the Lord. I'm saved. If you can't keep his commandments, the Bible says you are a liar. And people are like, well, how do you know if people really say? <laughs> well, we all sin and mess up. I don't care about that. <laughs> well, I be doing the same stuff. Then this also applies to you. <laughs> well, I did that back in the day, and this was you back in the day. Both of these things can be true. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to John. Woo-wee. Truth is tough. In this day and age, I absolutely love running to young adults that feel like they are so woke. I love it. I love when they think they woke about Christianity and religion. And I love showing them that they ain't woke. They just repeating the same mantras that have been circling around the internet forever. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so much fun. The other day we were talking to a guy and he was like, he didn't know I was a pastor. We were just chopping it down. Everything he was throwing up about religion. I was like, smack it. He was like, what about this? I like, smack, smack. He's like, what about that? Smack, smack. And I got a question about this. There you, you know, just, he, and at the end of the day, he said, well, you know, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm actually the pastor. He was like, I was wondering why you was eating me up. I mean, you was just eating up everything I had to say. I was like, yeah, I like doing that. Call me sometime. I love answering questions. Because this is a guy that actually was studying stuff. He just didn't know what to do with what he was studying. Just taking in a lot of information, doesn't know how to discern the information, and then what to do with it, right? So you start piecing stuff together, don't even go together. He's like, yeah, but what, what about the apocalypse? I was like, the apocrypha? Yeah. And what about the, septu the, septuagint, the septuagint? Yeah. So he was putting stuff together. He was putting stuff together, you know? And then what about Samson? Okay. He was putting it together, but it was like. But overall, it wasn't his understanding that was the problem. I'm going to show you. Because you could put everything together wrong, get this one thing right, and everything starts clicking. Because you ain't saved by your knowledge. To be saved by knowledge was the very sin that brought death. You're not saved by knowledge. Okay. Now, don't, 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 don't worry. My name means one who seeks knowledge. I love it. Okay? I love it. All right? But I know that does not bring you to salvation. All right. So let's start at John. Let's look at John chapter 6. Okay? I'm just going to run through a quick summary of what's happening in context before we get to John chapter 8. Okay? In John chapter 6, at the end of the chapter, Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples that he is the bread that came down from heaven, like the manna. Right? when the children of Israel were in Egypt. Then he goes on to say, and if you're going to be with me and follow me, you're going to have to eat the bread that is my flesh and drink the wine that is my blood in order to continue. And the disciples was like, er. let's pause here. When you say eat your flesh and drink your blood, what are you saying? And then he says, I said what I said. And they're like, 
so this is cannibalism. I'm out. And they left. And he did not stop them. I would have been like, you, I don't mean literally my flesh. I mean, technically, he didn't even stop them. They was like, you trying to get us to be cannibals. We out this joint. And dipped. And he looked at the rest of the disciples that was left like, are you going to leave me too? They was like, nah, we with you. We with you, Jesus. We don't. I hope you're going to further explain. Later on, it's a lot of miracles you're doing. Now you're talking about can I, I don't even know what you mean. We're going to keep going and see where this goes. So now Peter, you know him. He was like, I'm with you. But I'm always evaluating. Always evaluate was just a good idea, you know. So they go on down their business, right? And Jesus is like, you got to eat this, take this. And they're like, I'm out. Some people's like, I'm with you. He was like, yeah, I know some of y'all with me, but I also know some of y'all ain't. I know the one that's going to deceive me. You are not a believer. But he knew it from the beginning, right? This is hilarious. So by the time he gets done saying this, the disciples are like, this is hard. This is hard. This is hard for us to take in. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. This is a very difficult saying to take in, Jesus. Aren't you, there are times you want God to make something very plain. Like, can't you just say this? Can't you? Like, you're saying something, but I'm not sure if I'm picking up what you're putting down. Am I picking it up the right way? Is this what you mean? He'd just be looking at you like, I said what I said. But you said one thing, and it could go on either side. It could go this way or that way, and then I don't really know. He'd be like, I said what I said. Most of you call me saying, Pastor, the Lord said this, and I think this. I said, or he could have meant this. You're like, oh, dang, it could have been. I'd be like, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> no, I take the answer. It's always easy. All right. <laughs> it is. All right, let's move on. Um, so Jesus says, the end of chapter 6, he was like, yeah, it's hard. But these words that I speak are spirit and life. Look at what Jesus is trying to say. You have to eat my flesh, drink my blood, if you're going to rock with me moving forward. And they're like, this is some mess, I'm out. And some people said, this is, I'm not going to say it's a mess, but I'm going to say that this is really hard to accept Jesus. All right? Yeah. I'm going to keep going with you. But the entire way of this journey, I have something running in the background of my mind that is very hard for me to accept about what you said. I don't want to help me today because you could be walking with Jesus. You don't want to help me today. Go to church every week. You understand. But in the back of your mind, you have a question about something that he said to you. And it's really hard for you to fathom how he wants you to live and act like that. And it remains there the entire journey. Right? Over time, we begin to, we begin to see the hiccups. Jesus said, I must die. Peter was like, certainly not you. He was like, get behind me, Satan. See, now we know that this background thought will cause you to be used by Satan at any given moment. Y'all don't want to help me today. This background question that you have a hard time receiving about God, this thing that the pastor preached that you have a hard time accepting, this concept, this way of life that you really cannot swallow fully, that that very thought makes you susceptible to be used by Satan and so susceptible that we cannot tell the difference between you and Satan himself.
when Jesus self told, when Peter told Jesus, certainly not you, you shouldn't die. Right. He was like, get behind me, Satan. You would think, but he was just loving you. He was trying to love you, Jesus. Look out for you, Jesus. I was just trying to do what you wanted me to do, Jesus. And then this thing show up. How am I supposed to stop this kind of stuff from coming out of me? It's in me. How am I supposed to stop it? Then you're going to call me Satan? He didn't say, get behind me, you person like Satan. He didn't even apologize afterwards. He's like, I said what I said. If I was Peter, I would be like, but if Jesus was like me, he's like, fix your face. <laughs> Just be bleeding. I'm fine. <laughs> be like, Jesus called me Satan. The son of man called me Satan. God called me Satan. Oh, oh my God. Am I Satan? Oh my God, I might be Satan. Oh my God. You know, just. He's not overthinking stuff. Oh my God, I'm Satan. I always knew I was Satan. I knew I was never supposed to be saved. It was all a lie. It was all a charade. I was always the devil. Y'all don't be overthinking stuff like that. I'm like, dang it. Dang it. Oh, man, I'm the Satan. God, dog it. Well, maybe he wrong. No, he, he, he got way more power than me. I probably, I'm probably the one. I'm the Satan. Dang, I'm Satan. I'm just walking around here Satan, and now he know it. When he said one was going to betray me, I probably, if I was Peter, I would have been like, it's me. It's definitely why you got to just talk around it, Jesus. Why don't you just say it? You've been saying everything else. You, you're going to betray me. You no good. Some of them are some of them. I would have been saying, yeah, it's probably me. It's always me. I can't ever get nothing right. <laughs> Somebody is playing with your mind, and it is not the Father. Jesus says, the words that I'm telling you are spirit and life. Now, let's, let's take some church words out of this, okay? Let's, let's de-churchify this for a second. When something is spirit, that means it's not tangible, even though it's real, all right? It, it, it doesn't, it, you can't hold it, but it is very much a part of reality in that it, fe- it affects reality, even if you can't see it, right? It's spiritual, it's intrinsic is another word for that, okay? It has life in of itself. It has a function, but you cannot touch your love. Like, here go my love. No, you can't have none. You can have some. You want some of my love? See, it don't, it don't go that way. You just can't be like, you know, passing it off. It's intrinsic, okay? So he said, the words that I'm saying are intrinsic, but they're very real, all right? They're spirit. Okay, that means the words that I'm telling you affect reality, the tangibleness. It's a part of the tangible, even though you can't see it. Do you understand? All right, because whatever spiritual thoughts you might have, right, they end up showing up in your actions. Right? You're angry, it's going to show up in your actions. You're hurt, it's going to show up in your actions. Here is something that is intrinsic spiritual not tangible something happened on the inside like in my guts not literally in your guts like in my heartbeat not in your heartbeat like in my blood not literally but we use these physical things to say it is in you even though you can't put your hand on it but it is very much so a part of what this world is yeah 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 okay that's the thing about spirit 
It's not a different world. It is this world. But the aspect of this world that you cannot see. But you can feel it all the time. That's how miracles and words of knowledge are happening because I'm very in tune with the idea that the spirit world is very real, always present, always moving. Not some place I got to speak to over there, but a realm that is right here. Mm -hmm. Duh. Like I could say, hey, Janiah. I could say, what's up, Lord? Thank you so much, Jesus. Holy Spirit, can you help me? Somebody says, I'm a, my, my sister has cancer. Let's pray. Let's pray. I ain't praying with you. <laughs> you barely believe it. <laughs> I'm having a conversation with the angel of the Lord. I'm having a conversation with the Lord God Almighty, the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to say, can you get some of your angels to work on her chemotherapy meds for me, please? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to some of her doctors? Listen, can you go into her immune system, sweet spirit of the Lord, and really start beefing it up for her during this process? I'm not even talking to you. I don't even care what you hear. All I know is there is a whole other spiritual side of this that yeah. is very present when I close my eyes and say, dear Lord. I'm coming in the name of Jesus. Hey, hey, guys. Hi. I know. Hi. Yes, I'm totally the one on earth. Yes, it's me. Hey, I was coming. Jesus said I could come. <laughs> he said I have permission. And I would like to humbly ask all of you in the name of Jesus to start working on this woman's healing. And to the extent that he gave me authority to say those things and to the extent that they will start to move. Yeah. Yeah. He like, yeah, yeah. They like, oh, you let me see your ring? Oh, yeah, you. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. We know who you are. Yeah, it's fine. No, we're on it. We're on it. We're on yeah. it. We're on it. Right? It's a great thing. Yes? So when I feel in my spirit, that's as good as done, I can say that as good as done. Yeah. And it's not because I'm confident in myself. I had a conversation with the father and I see his heart about this and everything is moving. I'm like, oh, they started taking off. Oh, it's, it's going down. It's going down. You just. And then when you start sinking, Mama Jean, and start doubting, I'm like, don't doubt. Ain't that right, Mother Bell? When you start being unsure, and even though you can't tell people with your mouth how afraid you are, I can look at you in your eyes and go, don't you be afraid. You will get out of this. You will teach Sunday school. It's going to be amazing. Right? Because I'm not looking at this particular world. I'm looking at the world that is within it and around it. Yeah. It's very clear. In case you wanted to know. Amen? Amen. 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 You too can do the same. <laughs> now, I don't know about your credentials. <laughs> Got to work on getting them credentials up. You understand? <laughs> you know, you might have permission to access the parking garage but I don't know if you can really go up to the medical ward. I don't know if they allow you on that floor yet. I don't, you gotta have, gotta have the right badge for that, right? You know, you gotta swipe the right code on that. How is your security? And if we got anything, you got anything tagging along on your record, y'all don't wanna help me today. You got stuff you holding on to. Hello, somebody. You be like, but I come in the name of Jesus. They be like, yes, that's why we let you this far. But you do not have the clearance on, to move any further. That's a real deal because God is not mocked. Hello, somebody. Mm -mm. Everything is done in decency and order. Everything. Everything is done in decency and order. Right? You got to have clearance for some stuff. Because uh -uh, they told me all I got to do is say it. All I got to do is declare it. Right. 
Right, that's, that's what they said, huh? That's what they said. I'm sure they would say that. Because as far as the parking lot ministry goes, they really run that. Parking lot profits. That's a, that's a spiritual church joke. If, if, you don't, if you weren't raised in a church, then you don't know the idea that a parking lot prophet is the person that even though they're not the pastor and haven't been ordained, that they stand outside after church and start speaking words and trying to tell people other scriptures and stuff like that. We call them the parking lot prophets. They have not been sent, ordained, or anointed for the particular job in that house, so they can't do it in the house, so they wait till everybody leaves out the house and start trying to encourage. So we, we call them parking lot prophets. Every once in a while, I have some little parking lot ministers out there, and I'm like, break it up. That's right. <laughs> hey, what you talking about? I was just trying to tell her. Mm. Let me see what you're trying to tell her. No, 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 you don't have any clearance for that. You just go on, go on about your business. <laughs> we got that. Leave that alone. Amen. Amen. Decency in order. Hello, somebody. Decency in order. I know your heart. Be that as it may. <laughs> No. Amen. I wasn't trying to do nothing. I know. <laughs> so he says, these words that I'm saying are spirit. That means they are very much so real. Impacts everything about the natural that we see. And they're intrinsic. You cannot see it. These words do something. He said, and not only do they, are they effective spiritually, where they do something in a way, in a realm that you cannot see, but it's very true. He says, they're life. The words that I'm telling you are life. When you tell me that something is life, like, ooh, that gives me life, I be thinking it gives me breath, ability, movement, sustainability. So you tell me that these words that you just said, that we got to eat your body and drink your blood, that they are spirit and life. So when you say these things, you're telling me that even though I don't see it, they're affecting the natural because they're spirit. And then in the way that they affect is that they bring life. Now, if I didn't know who God was before this scripture, I would be like, that's crazy. You'd be saying stuff and then it'd be like doing, like if I say a word and the word itself is not visible, right? Like sunrise and then we look and the sunrise. How did that happen? Right. right? And if I didn't know God before this verse, I would think, how is it spirit and life? But God created heaven and earth with his words. With his very words. Let there be this, let there be that. So the idea that he wanted us to know about life is that the physical does not dictate the spiritual, but the spiritual dictates and builds the physical. That's just the facts in Genesis. He said, let there be, when he said it, stuff was being, right? It was being. Now, the caveat in this, that he said, let there be a tree. We did not get trees immediately. We got seeds in the ground. You remember, because he said, let everything be, but nothing grew until Adam was made. So even the things that he says have to happen in the process yeah. of time. 
And if you look at the understanding of seeds, which he often compares his word to, a seed holds everything that is a necessity for the thing that is the end result. Yeah, that's good. A seed holds the stem. It holds the leaves. It holds all the apples. It holds the roots. It holds the capability to do photosynthesis. It holds, it holds, that little seed holds everything that is a necessity. Y'all don't. Okay, all right. So a seed has everything in it that is needed for whatever the end result's gonna be. Am I right? Very tiny, very small, practically insignificant. But you put it where it's supposed to go, and shablam, over time, everything. You start seeing a leaf, but you're like, but ain't no fruit. Just wait for it. Hello? You start seeing a, a, a stalk, you know, a, a trunk. You be like, but there ain't no branches. Just wait for it. You start seeing branches and leaves, but there ain't no fruit. Just wait for it. And it's not like somebody's coming by and be like, oh, here go a, a log that ain't got no branches. Let me put some branches on that. Whatever it needs did not have to come from without it. It came from within it. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all not trying to help me? Y'all trying to help me? Now, 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 everything about how life works, which we're going to look on in the retreat, happens in seeds and sex. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about at the retreat. All right. But what we need to understand, all right, about seeds and the word was now he says, the word that I'm telling you is spirit. And it has all of life in it. In essence, these words that I'm telling you will grow life. The fruit of these words is life. If you tell me that the fruit of these words is life, then that must mean that it came from the tree of life. Y'all don't want to help me today. I can't get nobody to help me understand the Bible. So now, if you're telling me that the word that you're saying is intrinsic and spiritual in that it's very real, and it's the thing that causes everything that is real to be, because God said, in the beginning, let there be, these were words that actually caused things to be. So now you're telling me that as it relates to God and his entire creation, his words are intrinsic. All words are intrinsic, and they are supposed to produce something. He says, when my word goes forth, it will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that which I set it out to do like I ain't got no bad seeds I put my seeds in they do they do exactly what I said they're gonna do interesting we're not done this one even for y'all I'll have some other stuff to tell you I don't even know how we on this but nevertheless nevertheless all right so now he says so my words are spirit and life. So what the things I'm giving you, when I say them, they're going to produce something in the natural. What it's supposed to produce is life, right? Now, in this word, eat my flesh, drink my blood, it's spiritual. But when you actually take it in, hello, somebody, then it will produce life. Go back to Genesis in your mind. Go back to Genesis in your mind. Adam and Eve were tempted. First, Eve was deceived by Satan. He told a lie, right, and said, you won't surely die. Right? He was lying. 
she was going to die. Very much so die. And everybody after her, right? But he lied. Now, the words that he said are spirit and death. That's why the wages of sin is If you say something that is a lie, that is against what God the creator has said, you don't want to help me. See, when God says something, it is true. Hello, somebody. It is real and it happens. When you say something different than that, it is a lie. It is not real and it holds death. It is impossible for it to live because it is, in essence, death. All right. They could have called the tree of knowledge good and evil. The knowledge of death. Here is the tree of death. All right. Because that's pretty much what it is. But they didn't say that. Probably because they recognize that even if God said it's the tree of death, to Adam and Eve, it seemed to be something good like making one wise. Because your sin is never really what you know it is. It's never really what God said it is. It's I was just trying to be loved. I was just trying to have a good time. I was just trying to. It ain't never, ever really the thing that it was. An abomination. Lust. Absolutely rebellion. Complete disobedience. It's never that. It was like, uh, I was only trying. I'd be like, why do you keep explaining? Because you think that this really solves the problem. It was still disobedience. It was still the epitome of rebellion. But I was just trying. Oh, that was the knowledge of tree of good and evil. Tree of death. <laughs> so when they ate of it, that action, okay, let's do it again. Satan said words that were spirit and death by nature intrinsic, all right? Now, the way that we know that these words affect the natural is because when he said it, Eve did it. We know that you have received these seeds, these words that are spirit, and we know that you receive them because they have produced an action in you. Because when, when, when desire is full grown, it produces sin, death, right? We know it because we see what you did. You can't tell me I didn't really mean to and I didn't really believe that when you actually did it. That means whatever word they said worked. You sure is ugly. If you go around, I am ugly, then you actually took that in and believed it. And now you be covering all up. I shouldn't even smile because I'm ugly. See now, see now. It ain't their fault. It's not their fault. You have the ability to reject every word that does not line up against what the word of God says. You can say that is, that is death. That is deception. But you be like, maybe it is. Maybe I am ugly. And then it affects how you live your life. Maybe I am that. It affects how you live your life in every turn. Right? Now, all words are spirit. And everything that was created was created by the word of God. Now, Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh. No? Let's do it again. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. What God spoke that was intrinsic... From the day he said, let there be light, y'all don't want to help me, that Jesus is that word made flesh, that he is the express 
image of who God is. Why? Because he was slain from the foundations of the earth. How is that possible? Because every seed has in it everything that is needed for it to produce the end that God said. So Jesus is the word made flesh that within him, that seed, everything that God said, when he said, let me create man in my image, that in Jesus, man has to be exactly what he created because he's the word made flesh. Let me say it without all the yelling so people that didn't get it could get it. Forgive us, we got excited, all right? The Bible says that Jesus is the word of God made flesh, put into flesh form in human body. The words of God have created everything. They are spirit and life. They enact and affect what we call life. Do you understand? So his words are spirit and they make life. So when he said, let us make man in our image, that was word, that was spirit. And when God says something, it will never return to him void. It will accomplish that thing to which he set it out to do. So if he says, let us make man in our image, then we should have man in his image. But within this seed, some type of enemy crept in and he started working some things to try to deform the idea of the image of what that seed was going to be. But fret not, dear seed, because everything you need to destroy that pathogen that is trying to produce something contrary to what God said is already in you and in just a moment you're going to see what is going to come from this word is the word of God made flesh and that means that we're going to have fruit and what that fruit is going to be is a son of God and a son of man he's a second Adam and anybody in him is going to be children of the most high God That's how Christ could be slain from the foundation because God knows my words are seeds. When I say it, everything I need in that is there. Well, I said, let there be a tree. Photosynthesis was there. How to convert oxygen and all the leaves. Everything was there because that's how perfect his words are. He ain't got to list everything. Well, first we need to have the DNA. Then we need to have the chromosomes. Then we need to make sure we got proteins. Mm-mm. This is what I want. That's what it's going to be period right now the joy about let us create man in our own image is that man did not grow from the earth even though he fashioned him from the see evolution tries to tell you that we came from the very substance that made the earth like we evolved from the dirt now who would want to make us think that we evolved from the natural rather than spoken into existence from the spiritual and then the spiritual he fashioned and put us in the natural who would want us to believe that who has a plan to make us feel that what we do in the natural is what we are in the spiritual 
Somebody has a plan to make you think that what you do on the outside is really what you are going to be on the inside. Somebody says that you can be saved by works. Somebody says once you sin, then that's just your nature. Somebody said if you did that, then that's who you are. Somebody is lying trying to make you think that what you do externally will actually become who you are internally. How did he do this? Because the rule was don't eat of the tree. Don't let his words, which are spiritual, cause you to do something that is natural. Because now you believe that this natural thing of eating this fruit actually makes you more spiritual. And it's a lie. Because the spirit produces the natural. So then when Jesus, the word of God put in flesh form, says, eat my body. What is he trying to counter? When Satan said, eat my tree, y'all don't want to help me. Eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why don't you go ahead and take the fruit of a thing and see if you can make more fruit. You can't take a fruit and make more fruit. You've got to take the seed. Y'all don't want to help me. A fruit skin won't make more fruit. It's the seed that makes more fruit. And Satan, you are a liar because sin is being condemned to my flesh. It is not me that sins, but my flesh. I'm getting a little excited. This is not the point. We're, we're supposed to be on some things that were more applicable to your day-to-day life. Since you're losing your fights and all. Since you're losing your fights and everything, you know, because you need some application. Right? So now Jesus tries to tell them in John, if you're going to abide in me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? You want me to eat something that was living? Yes. Because Satan convinced you that the fruit which is the end of all growth, will actually cause you to grow. And here I am, the seed, where my body is going to be buried. Y'all don't want to help me. And you're going to bury my body in the ground as a seed of wheat. And then when that thing is fully harvested, it has more grains of wheat. He says, so eat my body, which is not a fruit, but is the actual seed, the source of all life. He said, eat my body because my body is a source of life. It's not what life created. It's not what my words made. It is what makes everything. So eat the seed and I, my flesh, am that seed. People that could grasp this theological concept, the construct of all of creation, and know God, they didn't have a problem with it. People that could not understand this, he goes on for the next two chapters talking about why people cannot understand the very thing I just said to you. So you can't understand what I'm saying. They're like the flesh, the word, see. Some spirit, you can't touch it, and then you, you eat the spirits. Do we eat spirits? I don't even know. I got all confused. Yes, we know you're not going to understand. 
Because the Bible says, Jesus goes on to say, because it has not been given to you to understand. Like, well, then we go, well, that's what I mean. Only people's going to be saved, the ones that he wanted to be saved, not anybody else. Hmm. What if you just have to have clearance? He said, the Bible says, God desires all to be saved and none to perish. Hello, somebody. So he says, I'm going to give everybody access through Jesus Christ. But if you really want to be life like he's life, if you really want to abide in him and him abide in you, you're going to have to have access. Now, the future access that you need is to eat his body. What? You got to eat his body. What do you mean? I can strike, you have to strike a covenant. See, the covenant now says that everybody, we want you to know that we are with this. This supposed cannibalism. We're with this because you don't know what he's really saying. What he's really saying is Satan deceived us and made us try to eat natural things in order to become spiritual. Y'all don't want to help me. That's why you drink in order to feel better. That's a natural action trying to affect something intrinsic. That's why you have sex in order to feel love because that's a natural. See, I'm already at the retreat. That's a natural action to trying to produce an intrinsic thing. And God says, uh-uh, you've got to have a spiritual thing that produces thing in the natural. My word is spirit and life. So if you want love, then you better read my word. If you want patience, then you better take in my word because my word creates life. Run around here trying to figure out what can I do to fix my life. What can you do naturally? Nothing. You're just eating more of the same lie. That's why I tell the testimony. I did not plan my life. People don't believe me, but ask around people that know me all my life. I didn't say, you know what? God called me the pastor. Never. I never knew what I was going to do next. I just did whatever he put in front of me. By the time I realized, ooh, all my friends getting married. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> ah! <laughs> ah! I'm 27. I don't have a husband. I'm not even engaged. Jesus, I need a husband. He was like, mm-hmm. I, I said, I need a husband. He said, mm-hmm. Yep. Excuse me. I'm 35. I need a husband. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got 40. Excuse me. I'm 40 years old, dear Jesus. I need... A husband? He said, mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. 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 And now what we're trying to figure out is, is the natural of sex the thing that produces and makes parents parents? Is it the sex that makes parents parents? Because people have sex all the time and they're not parents. He said, but what if it was spiritual? What if something spiritual made you a parent? He said, Lil, I need to be married so I can make babies. He said, is that why you think you need to, you think you need to be physically married and have physical sex in order to raise up children? To pour your love onto children. To love and help people grow. He said, you think that, you think you got to do something natural to experience that spiritual benefit. So when he said, mm-hmm, I said, mm-hmm. Aha. Aha. Because the idea here is you don't want marriage. 
You want what marriage told you was going to come and give you. You don't just want money. You want mo what money can buy you. Y'all don't want to help me today. It's not the job that you need. It's the feeling of accomplishment and growth that the job provides for you. That's why you say, whatever job you at, you better act like it's important. Because then you're going, if you try to do that job right, I'm going to sweep the floor like this is the best job ever. He said, then, then I can spiritually give you. Y'all don't want to help me today. He says, take my word and do everything as unto the Lord. And while you're sweeping the floor, you have the same type of fulfillment as a CEO and a CFO. Because it's not the job that you want, man, but as an idea of, of growth and building and making, that's what you really want. You want to see something in your hands and cultivate it, dear man of God, dear woman of God. You want to cultivate something and watch it grow. And you want somebody to say, that's good that you have done that. And that it's useful that you have done that. And I love how you've done that. That's what you're looking for. See, I figured that out early. That's why I'm doing this. I said, oh, oh, the secret is what makes me feel like I'm growing something. And ever since I was a little girl, I'm good at growing Christians by your spirit. I don't. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, don't you want a regular job? I have not worked a regular job in eight, 10, 15, almost 15 years. Almost 15 years. And I don't even get a salary from this job. I get whatever people feel like giving me, whatever they feel like blessing me with. That's what I get. And I've never been hungry. Mm -mm. I mean, I missed some bills here and there, but then I caught them up. I got them caught up. I got them caught up. I ain't worried about that. Because I'm still growing something. And the idea here is I don't let the paycheck confuse me about how good I am at my job. You don't want to help me today. Because it wasn't the money that I was seeking. Y'all don't want to help me. So it's easy for me not to have a set salary because it, I wasn't doing the work for the money. I was doing the work because I enjoy watching something grow and mature and nurture it. And when he gave me this, I said, that's what I will do. And you will make sure that I eat. And that is the end of that and has been the end of it for almost 15 years plus. Sit, 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 sit. You're miserable because you forgot why you liked your job in the first place. Maybe you went into it for money. Went into it for future opportunities. But didn't go into it because that is something that the Lord put in your hands. You say this. This is what you want me to grow. That's why you keep getting fired from all your jobs. Hello, somebody, because you don't realize that this is what he's telling you to grow. And until you understand that concept that you are not working for money, but you are working to fulfill a spiritual need of watching things produced in your hands, I'm not going to give you the next job. Because the next job inches you closer to what I've called you to. Right? And you're not ready. I can't let you get that close. Because you go on, you're going to fail at it. 
Then you're going to think you're not called. Then your ministry going to fall apart. Then your marriage and all everything that's connected to it. So let's just wait here and learn what this job is for. And it's not for your provision. It's not. And when Satan tries to say, eat this, take this, work those extra hours, get that overtime, and you know it is not helping in your growth and production of what God has put in your hands, but you can see how you need the money. Now, it's good you're trying to get the money to the church. May the Lord bless you. Your physical needs is blessings us spiritually. Amen. Right? Now, your money is no longer physical. It's spiritual. Because it was the heart that you sowed it in. Not how much you wrote it in. Y'all don't understand. It, it was what you knew what it represented. You understand? It's like, I just want to, I just want, and he wants you to recognize how bad you want that. Do you know how many people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm so mad that what I wanted to give. I didn't have it to give it. I asked the Lord for it, and I thought he was going to bless me, and then I can't bless the church, and I'm undone. And I sit there and go, that's good. That's good. Because this means that never again will God put on your heart to give anything, and you don't do it. Because we were honest, there were times you did. But now that you can feel the joy of what it means to take something physical and answer physical needs that then start encouraging people in the spirit, start encouraging your pastor, lift the stress and the financial burden, then the vision is more clearly seen and, and souls are being saved and mission trips are being taken. You're like, yes, yes, I love this. I love this. And now you're not robbing God. Now you're not robbing God. Why give my tithe? He said tithes and offerings. What did he tell you to offer? That's where you stuck at. Hello? Nevertheless, we didn't even take up tithes and offerings. Yet. Where was I? Ah, spirit and life. So now that Jesus is the word of God made flesh, you can see why he says eat of my body. Take the seed and that will grow life. And from the day that you accept Christ and take communion, baptism and communion are some of the best sacraments, then you're saying, I'm taking in this seed, the life of Christ. And that's why he says, if you know him, then you will live like you know him and obey his commandments. Because what we're seeing is what life he lived growing through you. And a person that cannot keep his commandments is not born of God. Because a, a, a good fruit tree can't produce bad fruit also. Yeah. Trees of life produce life. Trees of death produce death. Now, while you may be saved here, you have not died like a seed in the ground being raised to new life. Because that's the type of life you're called to live. Can I see you on that for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I found out in the, in, the, in the years that I've been in ministry, the reason why Christians believe God and struggle so much with sin. Shamar, can I use you as an example? Not for the sin part, but for some other stuff. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> he was like, uh-uh. I mean, I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't set that up right. I didn't set that up right. I was talking to Shamar. He was telling me about a testimony that Hezekiah has. I'm not going to give you. He can give it to you guys on the next Wednesday when we're in church or whatever. You know, he was talking about the, the testimony Hezekiah had, and both of them was like, dude, that's what I'm talking about. This Christian stuff, like, it actually works. Like, this is good. Like, and Shamar came and he said, cuz, I could do this, like, for real. I don't know what God is doing, 
but I'm liking this. I'm, I, I, this is doable. This is, this is fun. This is, this is good. I, I'm enjoying it. I said, you know what happened? He said, what? I said, you actually died to yourself. I said, I cannot convince people how much better it is when you finally die and just say, I'm just going to live like this. Yeah. And you just, you just said, just jump. Just leap. I, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to live like this. And you say, the heck with everything I thought, the heck with everything I thought I was going to do, the heck with everything I felt, I am done with that. Lord, you tell me whatever. And that's exactly what happened to Shamar. He came here low, right? We start working on some stuff. His soul got up a little bit. Then God started working on some stuff. Spirit got up real bit. I mean, spirit got real up last Sunday, you know. Spirit man was like, thank you, Jesus. And he said, now it just seems like it's working. I said, that's what happens when you die and then you're actually raised from the dead. Life is so much more enjoyable. Even the struggles look different. Even yeah. the fights look different. I said, but when you're just trying to be a better person, Hello, somebody. When you're just trying to clean up bad habits, it's not the same as being born of God. It's not the same. And I can't tell you that. I can't even tell you how much easier it is and much fun and so much more fulfilling when you actually do it. But those of us that have done it are like, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not many of us. It's not. It's more of us struggling with our old selves, our old desires, whatever we think we wanted, thought we wanted, trying to figure out, still trying to manipulate things in the natural in order to get the things in the spirit that you really need. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to marry him? Where am I going to live? What kind of job am I going to get? Where's my house? Where's my apartment? What kind of car? And if I could just get this together, just get that together, just get this together, I'm like, then what? Nothing. Because nothing you do in the natural produces something in the spiritual. But everything in the spirit produces what you see in the natural. Hands down. And when you get that, your eyes are open. You're like, wow. So you can say, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I miss my mom every day. But I love the Lord. Let's fight some more. Yeah. It's clear. It's very clear why you're doing it. It don't make the pain go away, but you realize I was built for this. I was built for this, right? And you take great joy now in your sufferings. Now you're like, oh, I know what this is about. Ooh, that hurts. <laughs> Have you ever seen somebody get crap beat out of them and then start laughing? You know right then they're crazy. <laughs> That's what I do to say. You're like, <laughs> you're like, oh, snap. The little demons be like, man, I ain't even fooling up with her. Why y'all give me her? I shouldn't even came over here. You know I shouldn't even came over here. Amen. 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 Come on and bless the name of the Lord. Standing all over the house. I know. I'm looking at everything I wanted to cover, and you'll be all right. Yes, I'm good. <laughs> Jesus goes on to say in, in John chapter 6 and 7 and 8, he says, the reason why you can't understand the words that I'm saying is because you don't want to do the will of God. 
He says that in John, somewhere around John chapter 8. Here, let me, let me show it. Say, Jesus, remain standing. I'm going to try to find it for you. And they're done the wheel. Somewhere around John chapter 8, <clears throat> somewhere between verses 42 to the end there. He says that this, it's hard for you to understand. You're not going to understand because you do not want to do the will of God. See, when you say you want to get saved and you believe in Jesus, what you're really identifying is I am tired and done with doing my way. I'm done doing my way. I have no way. I have no will. You have broken my will like a horse that you have finally broken, okay? Broken and contrite. You have told me I am done. I am no longer bucking against you. I'm, you just, whatever you want. Whatever you like, right? I'm done with this. It's not what I want. Because this is, produces nothing but more chasing, more pain, more uncertainty. I mean, just constant, constant, constant. Because what I think I want is always looking natural. But you are spirit. And if spiritual things produce things in the natural, then I need life from you, not life down here. Not life down here. I need life from you. So now my will is done. If I suffer, I'm going to suffer. Bump that. If I got to fight every day, I'm going to fight every day. Bump that. I want whatever you want. I am done wanting things. You tell me. He says, now when you finally say that you don't want your will anymore, but you want mine, you died to self, buried, and then when you didn't even know it was possible, you thought that if you died to your will, you thought if you stopped trying to get what you want, if you stopped trying to make it happen, if you stopped trying to fix things, if you stopped having to hustle, if you stopped having the pressure, you thought if you stopped that, then you would surely die. He says, well, stop it and see what happens. And so you say, I'm done living like that. I'm done striving that way. And you die, and then look at this, all of a sudden, you start raising up from the dead all of a sudden you got joy you never thought you'd have all of a sudden you got strength you never thought you'd have but you've got to stop wanting your will because you will never understand the word of God that way remember I opened and said what if you could stop being saved by your knowledge and stop putting things together wrong, right? There's one way to stop you from putting all the scriptures and, and the signs together wrong, and that is to want his will. Then when you want his will, you understand everything God says. That's why when you come to me, you say, Pastor, I got this sign, and I think it's this, and I say, well, it could also be this, and you go, huh, it could be. And I say, it is this. You know how I know? Because I want his will for your life. Even when you, you want it too, right? That's why you came to me. And I want it too. I want his will for your life. I don't want his will for your life for me. I want his will for your life for him and for you. So thus, since I don't have a hat in the ring, it's easy for me to say, this is what he means by that. Hello, somebody. And then when I say it, you go, Oh, and it clicks instantly. And you go, how come I didn't see that? I said, because I am trained in growing life. Y'all don't want to help me today. I water seeds. I plant seeds. I uproot weeds. That's what I do. Do you understand? You just need a little water. That's it. I got you. I got you. I got you. We're going we're gonna to see what this is. And then it hits, 
and then you keep moving. So you don't understand the things of God, the word of God. You don't understand what scriptures mean and how they connect. You keep getting the wrong interpretations and not really seeing the signs appropriately. Going one way to realize I shouldn't even went that way. That's going to keep happening until you die to yourself. You want to be a strong theologian where you read scriptures and understand what they say? You want to not make sure you don't scripture twist? Then you can't have your own will. That part of you has to die. Let's pray. Ask the Father that I want new life. I've been struggling. If that's you, come on. I've been struggling. I've been striving. I've been trying to figure out what do I need to line up physically in my life? What changes do I need to make physically? Where do I need to go physically? What do I need to do physically? Is it, is it how I eat? Is it, is it what I listen to? I've been trying to figure it out physically, and now I recognize it's spiritual. It's not about what I eat. It's not about where I work. It has nothing to do with where I live. But it's the words that I take in. It's the words that produce a feeling in me. And when I act on that, I've eaten that seed. I want to only eat what you say. I want to produce your will. I want fruit from my life that looks like your life. I'm tired of hustling. I'm, starting, I'm tired of getting in the grind. You said, come all those who are heavy laden, who are tired. I feel like I've been carrying weights that I don't think I should be carrying. I, I don't think it should be this hard. I, I don't think it should be this heavy. And, and I can't figure out what I'm doing wrong. And so, and so now I'm just going to die to me. I don't, I, I don't even know. I want whatever you want for my life. Wherever paths you take me on, that's what I want. Whatever journey you have for me, that's what I want. 